Hi, I'm Bee Heller, your host of The Pioneers, a podcast series in which I interview business founders and leaders who are pioneering new ways of working and management practices, all with the aim of creating inspiring company cultures. For those of you who were hoping for the crisp tones of B, I'm afraid you're disappointed today. You've got my rather more rural ramblings. But to make up for it, I've been joined by the GM and newly anointed VP for Culturamp in a Mayor, Nick Matthews. And today we're going to talk about his experience over the last three years of growing Culturamp into a real success within Europe. As I go forward in sort of my life and career, I realise actually that was probably one of the biggest learnings that I had is that actually the power of people kind of acting together can sometimes be greater than the, the sum of the parts. The Pioneers is a podcast for business founders and people leaders who are striving to make their own workplaces deliver for their people and who want their culture to be a source of strength that's likely to drive the future growth of their company. I interview business founders and people leaders we can all learn something from. I try to get past the conceptual ideas and bring you the day-to-day habits and practices these businesses and leaders use to create and sustain their cultures. I'll bring you one pioneer each episode, so tune in for 30 minutes of wisdom and practical ideas that you can test in your own organisation each week. Nick, firstly, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure, Matt. Really great to be here. Um, maybe we should start with your story. Like, how did you end up taking the, the job at Coltramp um, and, and what, what made you make that decision? I'd always been interested in people. Um, and the story I always tell is, so I used to be a swimmer, a sort of a, a relatively average competitive swimmer. And one of the things I learned growing up through swimming was that it was possible within my, within my group of friends and people that used to swim in the same team, um, that we were all, you know, okay in our individual, individual um, sort of strokes. But we would, when we came to kind of like a relay event, a team event, um, we had everybody in the, the right place, um, in the right role. Um, everyone used to look forward to the relay. And we always used to outperform those teams that probably on paper had better swimmers as individuals. And... As I go forward in sort of my life and career, I realise actually that was probably one of the biggest learnings that I had is that um, actually the power of people kind of acting together can sometimes be greater than the, the sum of the parts. Um, and, you know, I studied history and politics and always been fascinated by people um, and then ended up in technology by luck, by accident. So started working as a, as a management consultant in technology uh, for Deloitte um, and had a fantastic career there, um, worked on lots of different projects for some really interesting interesting clients, um, and then stumbled across this company called Yammer. Uh, and Yammer was the original enterprise social network um, and uh, ended up moving across as one of the early employees over here in London to, to um, you know, open up that, that office and, and the market and bring really what was a new concept of working into London, the UK, and the rest of Europe. Um, and again, luck, chance. Yammer was a, was a sort of big success and was, was acquired by Microsoft um, and had a fantastic experience in Microsoft um, kind of rolling out these new ways of working um, that started with what we call enterprise social, but actually was more around how sort of the cloud could help enable organizations to kind of move faster in today's ever-increasingly sort of fast-paced world. Um, and on that kind of Yammer Microsoft journey, I worked with a couple of amazing Australian colleagues. 
Katie Stevens and Steve Hopkins, who uh, I stayed in contact with. And one by one, they joined this little company in Melbourne, Australia, uh, called CultureAmp. And I both highly respected both of them as individuals and as sort of professionals, uh, you know, and had the pleasure of calling them friends. And so I was sort of intrigued about what this what this company was. Um, and yeah, it said you know, that intrigue led to sort of some conversations and 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 here we are three years later. So that's probably my story to how I got here. How would you describe the company? Yeah, so CultureAmp is the employee feedback platform. So we help over 2,000 organisations globally to sort of collect, understand and act on employee feedback. And when we first met, which I think about three years ago, uh, you, you were in London in a, in a little WeWork and you'd been given two Australians to, uh, to look after uh, to start the business in Europe. The HR tech space has been pretty exciting for a while. There's a number of people in the, in the employee feedback space. From your perspective, what was it that, that stood out as being special or different about CultureAmp that, that, that made you buy into that in you know, pretty early days? In, in, mm. in... Yeah, I, I've always been um, drawn to organisations that have a clear philosophy. I think that you know, Yammer definitely had an amazing philosophy and, and CultureAmp especially. So Didier Elzinger, um, our CEO, um, has really always talked about this culture first movement um, and building a culture-first company um, that happens to provide software to organisations. So, and that was really um, the first main hook. So I mentioned Katie and Steve. Steve sent me a link to a YouTube video uh, of Didier speaking, um, and there's a lot more of them now on our, on our kind of website and on, and on YouTube, um, where he really gets to the bottom of what that philosophy is about. And that, that instantly drew me in. Okay. It was something that I had inherently felt, in my career, and I'd, I'd seen in operation, um, which in essence is that if in today's fast-moving world, it's now so, so important um, as a business imperative to put your people and culture first. So that brought me in. And then a community. So I think organisations that are able to um, create or to support community um, I find um, incredibly exciting. And the People Geek community that CultureAmp started, which was in essence saying, hey, um, the HR profession, the people profession um, is now one that absolutely has to use data to make better decisions um, where historically maybe that wasn't the case. And there was no real um, support network, peer learning community um, globally, really, to, to, to provide people that were going on that journey to kind of connect, share ideas, learn from each other. And so the PeopleGeek community took off and was, you know, dwarfed the size of CultureAmp and the customer base. And that really intrigued me that it was, there was something there linked to that kind of philosophy. Um, and also, you know, purely from a, I guess, selfish point of view, um, Europe was, a, was an untapped market. Uh, and that they didn't have anyone here. And I thought, wow, what an opportunity to, to start something and, and, and you know, take this philosophy-based approach uh, to kind of growth into what is a, a, an open market. And uh, I guess what's really interesting for me is, so it's particularly an Australian startup, I guess if you, you're looking for any sort of scale, there is at, at some point in your scale-up plans, you're going to need to move to a new geography. 
Um, and at the point you joined CultureAmp, as you said, the already a well-developed philosophy, already a really exciting customer base. But for you, with three people in, in Europe, very much a startup feel. How did that feel? You know, like, Were you left to your own devices to get on with it? Or it's a sort of interesting inflection point, I think, to pick up and lead a, a, a business. Yes. And I, I always remember um, I went down to Melbourne for my onboarding uh, to meet the team, meet the people that were going to come back. Uh, so Chloe and Chris, who are going to come back with me on a sort of secondment to, to come and open up the office with me. And got to meet everyone, got to know the product, got to know, you know really how everything kind of worked. And I remember having a, um, a walk uh, with Didier. Uh, I think of the morning, the, the, the final day I was there, the morning, went for a walk along the river in Melbourne. It was all very lovely. Uh, and I said to him, I said, you know, what's the one thing? What's the one thing I should take away? I'm a, I'm a big fan of simplicity. And he said something that was really the thing that I was able to kind of hold on to through being you know, a long distance away from head office. And he, was, he said, Nick, I just want you to be Culture Amp. I don't want you to be or to create Culture Amp London. Okay. So you know, we're a values-driven business and the values were created before our business plan. As a, as a company and so really in that moment I think what he was he was saying which I held on to is yes there's cultural differences there's market differences there's you know time zone everything um, but really just if your guiding light is to be culture amp rather yeah. than trying to create your own thing um, you, you you won't go far wrong okay. if you were advising someone about hiring a leader to take your business to a new geography that perhaps you had limited uh, experience of working in the past like how do you go about making that right decision because as you said you've you've got to get to somewhere where you know you're thousands of miles away in a time difference away you can't you can't know what's going on on a day-to-day basis you ought to trust the person mm. it sounds like you ought to you know, give them space to bring the value they're going to bring to it it's worked out well for you guys but the downside to that would be the failure of the yeah. move um, I think I think I've, I've I'd boil it down to three things one is there has to be that philosophical and values alignment because when things get hard or things get exciting it's the values that keep you grounded and how allow you to look through through a certain lens secondly is i think you do need to hire somebody that has experience of that market because there are you know if i was to go and be put into north america uh there would be people over there that would have far more experience of that market and probably be a better yeah better better fit um, and then really energy it's about having the energy and the passion to to build that and go on that growth journey. And I think that those are the three. Sort of fast forwarding the story a bit now, three years on, you've got 40 people in Europe. How many across the, the other main geographies in terms of where CultureAmp's located? Yeah, so I mean, CultureAmp is headquartered in Melbourne, Australia. Our development centre and engineering base is in Melbourne, which is fantastic. Um, and then we have uh, a large part of our businesses in North America. So we have um, sort of customer-facing, you know, customer marketing-facing teams based in San Francisco and New York. Uh, and then we have London here. And we're, 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 we will sh- get to the point where we'll be 400 people at some point this year. Um, so we're a sort of a medium-sized you know, organization now. Uh, in growth stage rather than you know, rather than a startup. Yeah. How did you bring people into the culture amp culture in that context? Because I think when you started, the culture came with 
hmm. the, the, the people you'd borrowed from Australia. How do you go about replicating the culture and keeping true to that vision of having you know a culture amp, uh, set of values and culture that extends the, across the globe? Yeah, I think that to the point you made there, bringing those people across at the beginning was crucial. It would not have worked. We, I, I needed... Um, both in Chloe and Chris and, and then James who, who came as well, people that really understood how CultureAmp worked from that value sense of being a values-driven company. Uh, you know, two weeks in Melbourne was fantastic, but actually it was in those, you know, the, the weeks and months afterwards learning really what that, that meant. So for anyone who's, you know, thinking about opening another office in a different location, I would always recommend having somebody who really understands the values and the culture to you know, to be to be in that sort of first group um, to really kind of give it a great baseline. I think then secondly is my biggest lesson from three years is hiring. Every good thing has come from hiring fantastic people that really add to your business. But we have a huge focus on ways of working, team and values-based interview um, components as well, where we'll have cross-functional um, interview interviewers uh, from different roles and different teams, um, really checking that that person understands our values uh, and realises that we're a values-based organisation. And it's not culture fit. Like, I'm really clear on this. It's not culture fit. It's super easy to think, okay, we have our values. People have got to come in and align with them and that's great. In they come. It's about what do they add. So we're a big focus now on having people that, that really bring something extra to, to what we're doing because it's the mixture of all of those new things that, that create the conditions for, for the magic to happen. We have a very rigorous onboarding process, and as a large component of that, we have values induction. Um, we have um, multiple stages of that where we have storytellers, effectively, that explain through their eyes and their experiences what the values mean to them. Um, and I'm very clear that when um, I do a session with all the new onboarders here in, in London, we talk about values and behaviours before I even talk about the strategy. So there's some very clear signalling that this is the company and this is what we care about to just signpost to people that we are walking the talk. There's a big time investment in doing that work, both in the recruitment process, the onboarding process. And when you are growing quickly, I thought there's a pressure to, to shortcut that. Firstly, how did you avoid that? And have you seen the benefit to getting that right? So hiring is so, so important. Um, we've, uh, we have a fantastic recruiter here in London, uh, Sandra, who uh, worked with me at Yammer and uh, also was one of the first on the ground at TransferWise. Um, she's also a um, personal and leadership development coach uh, and sort of trainer. And what we're trying to assess through the recruitment process is less of that sort of churn and burn through a, through a pipeline and more of a people that really are going to um, uh, want to join us as much as we want them and to get that, that, that fit and what they're going to bring and what they're going to add. So we've, we, we've been very lucky um, in having Sandra with us on this journey. Um, and our focus is on, the, and we say this internally, is that we know that by having the right people join, we'll have an exponential effect um, versus having just someone as a, as a, as a bum in seat yeah. um, who, who might not. And, and in, the, you know, in the software business, in the fast-growing kind of um, tech world that we that we in, we, in, we inhabit, um, 
the, the having that sustainable growth is the is the long term goal. So we will always um, focus on having the right person over having no one at all, or having the wrong person. Um, it takes some real um, uh, clarity of thought around that and uh, a very rigorous process and people to hold us accountable to that whether that be myself or Sandra when we're going through the recruitment recruitment process um, but it's 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 always been top of my mind since we opened is that, that only the, building a culture first company is all about having the right people so it's um, it's one of the biggest things we focus on and in terms of that approach to building out a company are there investment decisions or the way in which you've built it out that you might have done that's different to how you've seen other fast-growing tech businesses build out the organisation? I think that um, one of the... Uh, a really good example um, that we we had recently is we took um, our whole organisation to, um, to Melbourne for something called Culture Camp. So Culture Camp was a, a chance for the whole organisation to be together in one physical place for the first time ever. Uh, in the eight years um, that it's been it's been going, which involved flying the London office to Australia, the New York office to Australia, the San Francisco office to Australia, and if you looked at it purely through a commercial lens, it probably didn't make any sense yeah. at all. Um, you know, a large investment of time and money um, that sells people that are not selling. That's you know. Uh, all those kind of things that probably in maybe another organisation where the, the the lens for decision making was an entirely commercial would have made it would have not ever got off the ground. But for us, it was so important to as we go through this growth journey to really find our kind of true north uh, and really remind ourselves of why we were building the organisation and, and all that. And so, taking the time to do that over the course of a week was a massive investment that I think will pay off over the next 12, 24, 36 months. And were there things that you were noticing that prompted you to make that investment? Let's be honest, that must, that must have cost a fortune. Like, you guys, I'm obviously, you always drink expensive coffee, expensive beer, so I imagine it was, you know, a significant investment to get people across. Um, what was it that you were seeing across the organisation that said, you know what, this is now the time to do that? Because... You know, I can see if you did that originally and it had been something that happened annually, you sort of get into that trap where you keep inviting more and more people. But to start it now, I guess, what did you notice that, that as a leadership team made you say, actually, this is going to be worth doing. We really need to do this. I think it was more of a recognition that there were going to be more people that had joined in the previous six months uh, than, than um, that didn't know each other than people that kind of did. Yeah. Um, and as you're globally dispersed, um, that we knew that that was going to be a tax on sort of productivity. But really, I think the real answer is, is and it's something that you and I have talked about over in the past, is saying that the, the challenge that organisations often have with um, investment decisions around people is that there's often a lag. Yeah. People almost want to know the ROI almost entirely up front before they do something, and therefore they don't end up doing it because the ROI is not seemingly there. And we've known historically from looking at data that there is this lag. And so we were pretty determined and, pr- and pretty confident in knowing that um, this was something that we've seen other companies grow. We've got some research um, called the Culture Crunch, which um, we've um, looked at organisations going through various funding cycles uh, and growth stages up to potential you know, 
IPO or, or acquisition. And we know that as organisations grow, um, certain dynamics change with relation to um, engagement and other key drivers uh, of that engagement, whether that be you know, strategy, learning and development, um, uh, confidence in leadership, etc., etc. So we knew from data that this was something that was going to affect us at some point because we're no different from any other company that's going through this growth. So for us, it was really important to, to get ahead of that and actually walk the talk and to say, okay, we believe that the ROI of this will be demonstrated in the 12, 24, 36 months afterwards, um, but we'll make it now because we also knew that it would be very difficult to, if we waited another 12 months or 24 months, um, we'd be probably too big to, to, to just actually logistically kind of get everyone, everyone together. So it, it was a really good um, example of um, demonstrating to ourselves, but also to you know, our customers and people in the community that we really do believe in putting people and culture first uh, and investing in that, that we also then believe will be a competitive differentiator and advantage yeah. from a commercial standpoint. Um, for me, one of the interesting things is people want to treat people investments so they can see a causal ROI. Um, and I think there are people investments you can make that plan out like that. I think there's a second category of things, which is less about a causal path to, to a bottom line number and more of a systemic health thing. You know, like you create a healthy system by treating your people in the right way and the system produces more at the end. Um, and particularly with your perspective, with quite a data perspective on it, are there things that you would draw out of the insight you get from the various companies that you've got a snapshot into that gives you the confidence to take more of those like we can do the right thing because we know, as you said, there may be a lag, there'll be other factors that influence it, but, but the, the, we can yeah. see that. The... Yeah, and the two biggest drivers we see um, that impact engagement pretty routinely that come out of, uh, across our aggregate data and when we're working with organisations is learning and development. So individuals want to have great opportunities for, their, for, for learning and development. So... As part of the, the culture camp, we ran a two and a half day sort of, I guess, hackathon is the best way. We call them expeditions, um, giving people a chance to work with different cross-functional peers, either in engineering or in, in design or in things else to come together and work on some, some really exciting kind of areas. So that was very deliberate. But then actually, the other big driver we see of engagement is that alignment around leadership, strategy and vision. So is it a vision and strategy that inspires people? You know, when people come to work each day, do they know what they're working towards? What is the philosophy? And so for us, um, we spent a good day, day and a half as part of Culture Camp, really focusing on that, making sure that everybody on the organisation was aligned around where we've come from, where we started the company, the journey, um, the values, um, but also where we're going um, and what that strategy and vision is um, and having all of the leadership globally, whether that's in product or whether that's in, in sales and marketing or whether that's in people and experience and, and operations or finance, all being aligned around, around that vision. So we used our data to kind of construct an experience for our employees that we felt would, would be the action required to you know, put us in good stead. So yes. Listening to you talk, I think What's interesting, you got to a certain size, like 400 people, you're, you're going to continue to grow. The danger of the organisation starting to fragment, people not knowing who to talk to about things, and so gaps appearing in the, the system, or from, from more of a growth perspective, people not having that, that ability to cross-fertilise ideas and, and bounce off each other, just because, again, they don't know who, who it is, and there's not that sense of, 
you, you, I think you get a dilution of the story at a certain point. Does that make sense? When the original carriers of that story, I think back to you and, and the team arriving in London, starts to proportionately form less and less of the teams. And I think what's really interesting is, is that ability to, in your case, have the foresight to act before that shows up and things starting to silo or, or, or disaggregate and to invest in the personal relationships and the, uh, the, the shared understanding that's going to lay the foundation point for, for the next couple of years. Mm. Yeah, and I think the two things I would add to that is, one is um, you know, we do absolutely use our own product. Um, so we run a cadence of, of surveys around um, our sort of baseline engagement, you know, whether what you call that, you know, pulsing, you know, check-ins, um, you know. So is that something that we look at and, um, uh, and we look at both in London and also globally, you know, very, very, very clearly. Uh, and then obviously run all of those pieces around experience. So, you know, onboarding surveys. So we're getting that data. So we're having, we're using the product as our customers would to really understand and give us that, that, that great data to make informed decisions. I think the, the second thing, um, though, you know, about this is really understanding that it's from a from a cultural point of view, um, we are no different from our you know our, our, our kind of customers, and that's why you know being out there and talking about the values, making sure that we kind of pass on um, those stories, um, is is super super important. And and looking at the kind of the, the aggregate data and learning from our other customers as well, because one of the big things that we have is what we call collective intelligence. So. Um, taking um, inspirations from uh, other organizations that have moved the needle on some of these things uh, and then actually um, you know loading that into the platform to allow people to learn so when they have a a drop in a particular area to sort of say hey what should we do about it that we can actually learn from uh, either thought leaders or other kind of customers um, who've said hey when we had this problem in learning and development or career opportunities um, here's you know five or six things that, that, that we did um, that really helped move the needle. And then people can actually then pick and, and, and decide, actually, that's a great one. I'm going to clearly shows me what I need to do, some practical next steps. I'm going to go and do that. So there's less cognitive load on the what do I do next? And it then focuses on, on the action. And uh, you mentioned, you know, eating your own dog food from the perspective of running, you know, using your own product in the surveys. Um, we talked at the top of the podcast about the culture first movement and, and how you've driven that. Um, I guess, firstly, it might be worth explaining to people who haven't come across to some of the stuff what that is. But I'm also interested, from your perspective, leading a, leading a company that goes out talking about being culture first. As a, as a leader, what's the pressure on you to, to be, you know, almost whiter than white, you know? And, and from yeah. a well-being perspective or cultural perspective, you, you've, you've, you know, you've got to walk the talk. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm interested how that's been for you over three years. So the culture first movement is it, back to that philosophy. So it's really um, saying two things. One, that we believe that by putting your people and culture first will be the, the sort of the business imperative um, that it will be the source of competitive differentiation in the future. Um, and that rather than, say, espouse that as a philosophy, we are trying to demonstrate that by building a culture-first company ourselves. Um, so, so that's where the, sort of the, the movement has sort of started, and that has now manifested itself in a number of ways. Um, we have a series of um, events. So we have our culture-first global conference in San Francisco where I think this year we have about 1300 people coming to listen to 
um, a series of speakers that in their own different ways are reinforcing this this philosophy that actually it is so important now to put your um, people and culture first uh, so we had like Adam Grant was there uh, last year Patty McCord this year we have like Esther Perel um, coming along and a chance for them to kind of network with each other to find that that community of peers um, to sort of bounce ideas off we also run um, a series of forums for executives there's much more of a deep dive so we're trying to create an experience to match also the philosophy um, as well um, and a sort of variety of other sort of online resources um, through you know job boards and um, we have a weekly newsletter and things like that to really just provide that support network and I guess information to individuals, people professionals, or actually people that may be just in business in general that are looking to understand more about how they can actually take the first steps of becoming a becoming a culture first organization. And then really for 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 me, um, I think it's a great question. One is um, it is something that you genuinely have to believe. You have to really believe this is the case. And I said that story from swimming and then from, from other sort of teams and organisations I'd worked with, I'd, I'd felt it. So I generally bought into, bought into it and was excited to see where it could go. But then on a practical and almost tactical basis, you're right, um, I am very much aware that people are watching me to model those behaviours or not. And they will take conscious, subconscious cues on whether or not I'm doing that. So it's something that I focus a lot on is, is, is again, is people, culture and values um, over potentially kind of um, over-indexing or focusing on financial performance or numbers. Now, that's not to say I'm not thinking about it, but it's just saying that if I only talk about numbers and growth and everything else, is that um, people then will take that as a sign that that is the, the main thing to focus on. So I'm very, very clear on, on those kind of the, the, the visual and, and um, uh, sort of behavioural cues that I'm, I'm kind of giving off. Um, and I think then it's just, again, how we've actually manifested that in a systematic way. So the onboarding process, um, how we actually run um, our you know, team meetings, um, how, we, how we think about how we um, interact with clients and customers. We've tried to sort of build that, build that in. You know, the culture by design, I think, really sums it up quite, quite nicely. It's, it's sort of saying that, you know, you have a set of um, you know, values that you prescribe and believe are the, the, the ones you want to embody as an organisation. And then you have to design your experience and organisation around those. And so... Um, when we say walk the talk, what I mean is that that, that that influences all of the systematic decisions that we make around strategy, around organisation, about ways of working. So it really does flow th- all the way through um, the organisation. And uh, just to finish, perhaps, I can see when you present it that way, you, you, know, you commit to your design principles and your values, and then it's the hard work of flowing that through to, to all the touch points, whether it's your customers or, your, or the people you're attracting and, and how you develop them. Um, as you've done that, are there any particularly innovative or pioneering ways of, of bringing it to life that stand out as things that you've been proud of? Or I think um, there is a huge focus on, as human beings, on language. So how do you uh, create and identify a set of behaviours um, that you can identify with language and sort of monikers around what what those means. And w- one of the the 
I guess, exciting things and the bits where I really, really enjoy my job is watching a new, a new joiner to Coltramp or a camper, as we call them, um, maybe four or five weeks into their journey here in London or, or elsewhere, um, starting to use that, that language without realising. Yeah. And that that language actually um, relates to the way that we're, we're trying to get people to work. and to, 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 That's a really pleasing moment for me because that's when the transformation is starting, starting to happen. Nick, thank you very much. Thanks, Matt. Really enjoyed the, uh, the the conversation. I think there's loads of interesting stuff in there, um, particularly for me. The, you have to be brave, I think, when you when you decide, as you've done as an organisation, to take that culture first approach. You have to commit to it, um, and uh, uh, it shows up authentically in, in interactions with people only if you've done it right and you've followed it through and, and as you say when, when the, your new hire is using that language in a way that's natural and, and genuine to them but is very much aligned to the philosophy that sits at the heart of your business I think um, you, can, you can tell the difference yeah awesome thank you very much for your time thanks Matt appreciate it If you've enjoyed this show please leave a review wherever you found this podcast it helps other people find us and to spread these ideas if you end up testing any of the ideas shared in this show in your own organization please tell us about it at getintouchatthepioneers.co.uk we love to hear your stories until next time thank you for listening